Free Indeed. Today is another special guest episode. We have a good brother and lord of mine named Garrett. Uh, welcome to the show, Garrett. Hey, thanks. Uh, good to be here. Yeah. So uh, Garrett is a good friend of mine. Uh, we go to church together and he's got a great understanding of identity in the Lord, uh, prophetic things, and just a lot of a lot of great stuff. We have a lot of, a lot of like-minded understanding of the Lord, of Scripture, of identity, and so wanted to invite him on today and share some of his knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and uh, experiences with the Lord, uh, with beginning some prophetic things, and uh, as well as uh, really interesting, um, some uh, memories that uh, I've heard that others have sometimes before um, even things that's happened in this world, but they, they have these memories. And so we're going to get on in today. And, um, yeah, so Garrett, thanks for being on the show today, man. And, uh, earlier today, we actually got some lunch and had a great time. And we were talking about identity. I think it'd be a good start of this episode to, uh, uh re- remind me of what you were talking about earlier, where we, um, a lot of Christians, they identify with their sin they identify just with whatever their physical body ends up doing or where it ends up going and how that's really not what the bible teaches the born again christian is yeah so definitely so uh, essentially um it's broken out into the two two testaments right the old testament um had the law of sin and death right so man was separated from god uh there was a veil between uh man and uh, what was the representation of God in the time, which was the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies. Um, and it represented that man is cut off from God. And even in the uh, the Old Testament, like all the all the people uh, besides Enoch and Elijah, which were the only two men in the Old Testament to ever go to heaven, um, everybody else, uh, when they died, uh, old, old scripture uh, calls hell actually Sheol, right? Um, and Sheol was recognized as having two two parts to it. There was the 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 hell like we know, pain and torment and, and prison. Um, but then there was also um, paradise or Abraham's bosom, uh, which was separated by a large chasm. Uh, we see this referenced in Jesus's parable between Lazarus and the rich man, um, and it was a a staging area for mankind who were righteous who pursued. Um, at that time, the Old Testament precepts, uh, Ten Commandments, the sacrifices, all of that, um, their sins were not atoned for. Um, and they could not be stood before God because they were still sinful beings. Um, but they were put into essentially a, a limbo or holding area until the Messiah uh, prophesied in Isaiah and many of the other scriptures would come and present that final sacrifice. Um, and when Jesus came, and when he he was uh, crucified on uh, Golgotha, um, scriptures indicate that the veil um, in the temple that had the Holy of Holies in it was actually split from the top to the bottom, 
uh, representing that God from above has torn the veil of sin between man from heaven to earth. The uh, uh, sacrifice of Jesus Christ's blood atoned for all sin. Um, a lot of theology and scripture references that when Jesus went to hell, um, he, he went to both sides. Um, and what he did in the paradise side was he preached the gospel to all of the righteous men of old um, that were waiting for the Messiah and essentially atoned for their sins. And in scripture, uh, when it talks about Jesus resurrecting, there's actually scripture after that saying, and the righteous men of old resurrected with him and walked the earth with him while Jesus walked the earth. So people were seeing like Noah, um, Abraham, Isaac, like all these like righteous men of old, like revived. And it's almost like the first resurrection and rapture uh, and mentioned in scripture. The reason why that all that's that's important is because it shows where man was with sin and where man is now with sin. We now live in a New Testament era and the power of sin and death is is broken. Uh, oh, 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 sin, where is your, your sting? Oh, death, where is your sting? Like that scripture. Um, Paul would teach about it. Um, and when Paul would teach about sin, uh, he would talk about how... Um, and this is where kind of a lot of Christians get confused or like even get the like, oh, I have a license to sin kind of attitude um, that sin no longer affects the Christian. Um, it's not a uh, it still has like punishment and it still has like like sin does lead to death, but it's not doesn't have the sting anymore that it did in the Old Testament it doesn't separate us from God. Even in the midst of sin, when we're actively sinning. Uh, we're not any further away from God than when we were before the sin, because the the power of sin has been atoned for. Um, and that's really important because a lot of Christians will identify with their sin, with their failures. Um, but the verbiage in Scripture is very clear. We're, we're not sinners or sons. Um, we don't have to atone like like if you if you really get into the teachings of the apostles, especially Paul. Uh, if we cannot atone for our sin, there's nothing that we could do as humans to ever right the the wrongs of our original uh, Adam and Eve um, and the sins that we ourselves commit. It had to be done by somebody outside of us who was blameless, faultless, which was Jesus. Uh, and one of the biggest things to realize and recognize is that we were created in the very image of God. And when you go through Genesis and the creation, Adam's spirit was created before his body ever was. And for anyone who is curious about that, I would encourage them to reread the section of Genesis. It talks about that. When God created everything outside of man, he spoke it into existence. But when God created Adam um, and then later Eve, uh, we are the only things in creation that God knelt down in the dirt, physically created with his hands, the bodies. And when God breathed life into Adam, he was breathing in the spirit into Adam. So we were not physical beings with a spirit. We're spiritual beings that exist in a physical body. Um, and the reason why that's important to uh, differentiate between is because we were made in the image of God. Um, every aspect of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has a will. It's aware and it's sentient. 
and we're in a similar position, especially with our flesh. Um, when we become saved, our spirit is revived and reconnected to God and it's washed blameless. And that's who we really are is our spirit. When God created our bodies for us, our flesh, it was originally created as a supporting tool, something to assist with us. It has a will. It has desires. It has its own emotions. And if anybody wants to test that and really learn like the voice of the flesh, um, one of the easiest ways is to take ice cold showers for a week straight. Um, you'll begin to notice the flesh like crying out, speaking up, because as soon as you turn the water on that first time you get in it, there's going to be a sense of shock and all of that. When you start getting like really cold water, it's uncomfortable. But as you go on throughout the week, um, you're going to notice while you're in the ice cold that shower, something in the insect is going to be trying to convince you to turn the heater on, the hot water. Um, and then even before you get into the cold shower, something's going to begin to talk to you and try to convince you, um, not necessarily with like words, but more of like like ideas, thoughts, senses to, uh, you don't need to do that. Just turn the, turn the hot water on. Does it have to be that cold? That's the flesh. And we, a lot of Christians don't even realize the flesh has its own almost intelligence to it. Um, when we sin, it's the flesh sinning. Um, and sometimes we can willfully sin, and that's the spirit, our human spirit conceding to allow the flesh to enter into sin. Um, what's kind of interesting in that regard is that, that the spirit is the one that will have eternal death in hell. The flesh will never experience hell. The flesh will die and rot in the ground. And to a, to a degree, it knows this, and it wants to live the life of sin. It has a desire for sin. It's fallen, and it wants to experience all that it can in this life while it has life before it dies. Um, and it is completely and totally okay with us, who we really are, our spirit taking the fall and having that eternal death. And it absolutely does not want us to experience eternal life and grow closer to God because in doing so, we are called to reject the flesh, crucify the flesh, fight against the flesh, not give in to its desires and temptations. And it views that as taking or snuffing out things it wants to do. And so it, the, the scriptures say that the flesh is an a active enemy of God. It actually opposes God uh, because it does not want the things of God. It wants the things of the world. And when a lot of Christians, when they, they sin, they don't realize, like, their spirit's perfected. It's, it's, it's resurrected. It's as close to God as it's going to get. Mm -hmm. um, but it's the flesh that fights against that uh, condemnation, guilt, all of those feelings after sin or, like, 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 almost fear of approaching God, being in God's presence because we feel unclean. Those are fleshly emotions. Um, and those are all things trying to pull us further away from God or not draw close to God. God's not moved by the power of sin anymore. Um, God's love is not moved one inch when we sin. And we're not further away from God when we sin. It does not, it, it has no power over God. It has no power over like God, how he views us. God's not petty. Um, he's not like, oh, well. You're finally coming back. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll, I'll, I'll do what you did to me and just kind of separate myself for a bit, and then I'll come back. Like, that's not God. If you go throughout Scripture, God's love, and it talks about an unconditional love that is 
foreign on this earth now that came when Jesus came. Um, it's the love that it, it does not hold a list of wrongs. It's patient. It's long suffering. It's quick to yield. Like the love of God does not really care about the sinful state that we're in when we get saved. And it, the thing that it cares about is our spirit, right? When Paul was talking about this, he was, he was talking about how sin no longer affects God. It no longer affects his love for us. It doesn't move him. It doesn't give us a license to sin. Paul was very, very strict on that. Like we should always fight and resist sin, but we should never identify with sin and we should never let sin separate us from God because it's it's a lie. Um, it's a lie the enemy tries to perpetuate. It's a lie the flesh tries to perpetuate because it will separate us from God and allow this flesh to continue to enjoy in it earthly pleasures. And if the further you are from God or the further you perceive yourself from God, mm -hmm. uh, the flesh just has many more opportunities to do what it wants to do. And when, when you fall under guilt and condemnation, you, you kind of get in a vicious cycle of like, I have to earn back my place with God or mm -hmm. I've, I've left God. Now I have to walk back. Right. And what that does is you fall and you feel guilty. And now you can no longer engage in worship like you could before. You can't pray. You can't read the Bible. There's guilt kind of hanging you. Right. And that's, that's not God. That's, that's demonic or that's fleshly. Um, and because you're in a weakened state, you sin again, and then you're like, oh, now I really got to get back with God. And it's just this vicious cycle of you keep falling and you keep feeling guilty and you keep not wanting to go in because that, that people who identify with sin and think themselves sinners, um, don't think that they have the right to approach God. And they almost feel like a fear of approaching mm -hmm. God, right? Uh, scripture says that we can boldly enter into the throne room of God. There's a reason for that. It's because our spirits are perfected. Sin is bound up in the flesh. Mm -hmm. um, and if you can identify as a son or a daughter rather than a sinner, and you really hold tight to that, right? You, that you can stand before God. Because listen, God knew what he was getting into when he reached out and, and gave the call to us for salvation. God knew what he was getting into when he sent his son to die. Like God's all-knowing. He's all present. He sees everything you do. He knew of everything that you would ever do when the unction of the spirit came to reach out. However, God reached out to you to bring you into the family, to adopt you. The call of salvation, that urge in your spirit and in your, in your, in your soul to cry out to God for salvation. He knew exactly what he was getting into. He does not see your sin. He sees your potential. He sees who he created you to be. And that's the image that is reflected to him through the blood of Christ. Um, so it's really important for us as Christians to not allow ourselves to fall in the cycle of sin, the cycle of guilt and condemnation. Um, we should always fight against sin. Sin's not good, but it's not powerful. And it's not, it's not powerful enough to move God even in one inch in his love for us or to move God away from us. Um, and it's, it's hard to wrap our minds around because we are surrounded by people who don't have that kind of love. Even our parents, there's things that we can do as children that will weaken or damage or even push away the love of our parents. 
especially for people who may have uh, absent parent, right? Somebody who left or people who are going through a divorce and their parent says, you're the reason why we got divorced. Like all those things, those are very, very fleshly, earthly failings. And they are oftentimes what we think of and, re and use as a representation of God. They're not even close to how God loves us. Um, and because, but because they're familiar and they're what we experience, loss of friends, loss of relationships, right? All that stuff. We think that we can lose a relationship in front of God. And that's just not the case. Amen, man. That was very well said. And I agree with everything. I uh, really love how you said that, uh, you know, our, our sin is not powerful enough to move God. And it's just our perception that we can actually offend God where he wants to run a hundred miles away from us because what we did was so bad. And, you know, uh, I think one thing that, you know, if you grew up here in a Western church, grew up in church your whole life, it's easy to lose touch with the truth that, uh, like you said, God knew what he was getting into. He knew exactly what he was doing. Uh, like Andrew Womack says, God was just in justifying us as Christians. It wasn't like, oh, dearie me, I didn't think they'd do that again. Well, how come? You know, <laughs> yeah. God is not uh, naive and he's not ignorant. We're the ones that can become naive and ignorant of the spirit. And we try to um, overlay this natural onto the spirit when really we need to reverse that and overlay the spirit over this natural. And... Remember those old uh, screen projectors in school where the teacher would have like the math problems and have like the little Sharpie that she would write on and put it on the projector? Yeah. And and then she could like wipe it off. Well, so it's like that. We need to take this spiritual little plastic sheet with the truth and overlay that and broadcast that on the walls of our hearts instead of just looking at the walls of our hearts and saying how dirty it is. And, and another thing is you have a new heart in Christ. You know, the, people always reference Isaiah, was it 12? So I don't remember right now. You know, you can't trust your heart because it's wicked and dirty. It's like, well, we've, the Bible in the New Testament, you've been given a new heart as well. And uh, we still have the flesh. We still have the old mindsets we have to defeat. But I really like everything you had to say. Um, were you about to say something? Yeah, I was just going to um, pipe in like Jesus taught on this on sin and and his parable, though the righteous fall seven times, they're not called unrighteous. Right. Um, the falls representing of, of sinning. Right. right. And mm -hmm. obviously we've all fallen more than seven times. But in the Bible, God has such a keen emphasis and importance on numbers and numerical meanings. Uh, the number seven is the number of completion. And so what the kind of the the intended meaning of that parable is that though the righteous fall until their perfection is completed, they won't be counted as unrighteous. That's what that number seven represents. That's but good. if we think of ourselves as unrighteous, then we often become unrighteous because our expectations become our reality. We're beings of spirit and of faith and what we believe is what is. And so if we believe we're sinners and we're, these unrighteous, unclean beings, and that's exactly correct, even though God may not agree with it, that's going to become what our thoughts and our realities towards God. And, but if we can just put that down and believe in faith, because sometimes it takes a, almost a, a leap of faith to believe on what God says we are, uh, and we identify as sons and as righteous, even regardless of the sins that we commit, 
you'll begin to realize the truth in that and you'll begin to realize like God will absolutely prove through his love and his service and his his presence and devotion to us that that's that's accurate Jesus's teachings were there yeah it's so good man and I don't know about you but I've I've lived that you know um, you know because nobody knows us like we know ourselves in, in the natural yeah. and you know, I'm sure just like just like you and probably lots of people listening right now, you could look back at your life and say, I wouldn't have picked me. I wouldn't have. I don't even like me sometimes. <laughs> and the cool thing is, is God loves us. He knew that we were going to be imperfect in our day to day actions, thoughts and words. And yes, we should do our best to live righteously. But Paul said, there's no good thing that dwells in my flesh. He also said he doesn't want to appear before the judgment seat trying to find a righteousness of his own. And a lot of times what we get in church is self-righteous teaching. They teach about how it's up to you. The finger's always pointed at you. What have you done? What are you doing? What are you going to do? And the the thing with Christianity um, is Jesus made our starting line, our finish line as well. It's like no sooner did they say, Mark, set, go, and you, you take that first step, and all right, race is over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, but we got a lot of backwards preaching and teaching and and making you think you, even though the race is over, you, there's still a race to, to run, and there's not. Yeah. Um, I, I like what Andrew Farley says. It's like a double black diamond mountain in the Alps somewhere, and Jesus is the only one that can take on this skiing monster, and he does a perfect job, and but gives you the medal. And says, now stay off the mountain. And I like that because we we lose sight of there was a work to be done. And there's only one person in all of existence that could do it. And that was Jesus. And he did do it. And what we what we miss is the finished work. We, we see that he cried, it's finished. But a lot of ministers cry from the pulpit, it's not finished yet. And it's up to us to finish. And uh, what do you think about that? Absolutely. Um, there's a lot of churches they preach what I call westernized Christianity. Um, and it's the, 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 the preaching that we're sinners, that we're always going to be sinners. And that's not how God sees it. That's not how Paul uh, taught sin, right? Um, that's not what Jesus taught he, when he was teaching right. about like the righteous fall seven times. Like in nowhere does he say that sinners fall. He says the righteous fall. So like even in the midst of failure, he's still calling us righteous, right? Because, yeah, because righteousness, we we could not earn, we could not buy. There is nothing that we had to offer to earn righteousness, right? It mm-hmm. had to be given, and it was given freely. And there's a reason why Scripture references righteousness as a breastplate. Right. If you go back into uh, medieval times and stuff, when people were putting on a breastplate, oftentimes the breastplate couldn't be fully equipped and put on by oneself. It usually took a um, shield bearer or armor uh, helpmate to tie the breastplate onto the soldier. Um, And in battle, you usually couldn't take it off. It required help from somebody coming in behind them and taking and undoing the breastplate to take it off. So God put on the breastplate of righteousness on us. It's not something that we put on ourselves, and it's not something that we can just take off ourselves either. So um, Catherine Coleman had a wonderful like hierarchy uh, that I've really burned into my mind. 
uh, it's her teaching was that there's three three levels of hierarchy in what we, we are to believe, right? Um, the first is facts. Whatever God says is truth. And that's the number one ruler over all the other levels that we have to believe the facts. The second one is faith, right? Through faith, we can grasp onto the facts and the beliefs. But there's oftentimes we can't sometimes even have faith. That's okay. We still have to realize and believe that facts triumph over faith in this thing and what we believe in about ourselves. What God says about us is true, even if we don't believe it about ourselves. And then the last one is feeling. Um, even though we may not feel righteous, sometimes we can believe or have faith that we're righteous, even though we may not feel it. But even if we can't believe that we're righteous, we still have to know the facts and the facts are God calls us righteous. Amen. That's really good, man. I, I like that. The the facts over your feelings. Facts and if we over could faith look, over feelings. Yeah. Facts, then faith, then feelings. And and even if you can't do the other two, at least just make a decision to say, I'm going to follow the facts no matter how I feel. And uh, which I think is a kind of nice uh, segue into maybe the next portion about, um, you know, the whole prophetic realm and people who have prophetic inklings, things like that. Um, I've heard it said, and you can see in the Bible, and even earlier we we're talking about, uh, I, uh, not Isaiah, um, Elijah. And I've also known others in, in my life and heard of others who are, you know, prophetic or actual prophets. And one of the one of the things is, um, there, here, I'll, I'll give a pro and a con. One is like a strong justice streak in a prophet. And another is, uh, you can, we can be a little emotional. And I think because the enemy is a master of manipulation, he's a master of gaslighting. Um, that movie Gaslight, if nobody's seen it, it's like from the night, there's a 1940 and 1944 version. Anyway, go watch it. And, and basically it's what we know nowadays is like a narcissist or right? somebody who will make you doubt your own reality and your experience and actually end up blaming yourself after they rip your heart out. And we, the enemy causes us to do that to ourselves. Even though Jesus loves us, he's given us a new heart, a new identity, a new nature, new everything. When he said, I make all things new, he really meant all. He doesn't mince words. And he doesn't waste time. He doesn't and waste breath either. No, he doesn't. When he says something, the breath he's spoken to us, when he said, I make all things new, the, when he said, I make all things new, it was just as important as, as breathing into us or speaking or, or the written word, you know, and... The, the enemy tries to get us to, again, think that it's not finished, that, that a part of my salvation has to involve me and, and certain, uh, at least 95% of sinless perfection. At least 95%. You know, come on. God deserves that, right? Exactly, <laughs> and, yeah. And uh, he'll get you playing the religion game. And then, especially for, you know, if you don't watch out, even if you're not necessarily, you know, prophetic or anything, but if you just, if you do have emotional issues or you, you do find your emotions getting a little out of whack, the enemy loves that, and he will, uh, I mean, he'll he'll totally rip you up one side and down the other with that on the emotional spectrum. And, oh, yeah. Uh, maybe the, you could speak into that a little bit. The enemy loves to get us into our feelings and emotions because our flesh has its own emotions, its own feelings. So do our spirit. Um, our spirit has its own set of emotions. Um, but because we 
dwell in a fleshly body, if he can get us on fleshly emotions like fear, anxiety, condemnation, doubt, like all these things, these are emotions of the flesh. And the flesh is a child of Satan. And it wants to serve its parent, right? And so if the devil can get a Christian into his emotions, then it's two verses one, right? The devil's building up a, whatever, you know, strategy against that specific person. You know, for this instance, let's say, say fear, right? The fear of being able to approach God, the fear of failing God, right? So you mess up. And you're just like, let's say an addiction, you're caught in an addictive uh, uh, spiral, right? And I can't tell you just how much mercy and grace God has for addictions, um, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's porn. Um, God does not hold us harshly to those sins that we're bound in, that, that addictions just rolling and just we're, we're victims. That God sees us as victims more than sinners. Um but he still calls us righteous, even though we're in the midst of a, a, what, what would be considered like a battle, right? Um, if he can get us into a uh, the devil, if he can get us into an emotional spiral, then he can start getting doubt. And it's my personal belief that the only way we could ever lose our salvation is not through sin, but through doubt. Because scripture says we're saved by grace through faith, through belief. And if the devil can get a Christian to the place where he starts to doubt his salvation, um, I believe that's it, it takes a lot to get a Christian to that point. Um, a lot of, of constant str strategic battles and, and, and pin pricks and, you know, stabs and darts and temptations. But if he can get a Christian to believe he's not saved, um, then the faith that grace comes through is not there anymore. And it's, it's really a, a battle of the mind. It's, it's mental and it's, it's it goes back to the hierarchy facts, faith and feeling. Um, even if we can't feel that we're saved, even if we can't have that, 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 you know, that inner faith or belief, like that solid knowing that we're saved, we can still believe the facts of it. Right. And like, Think of kind of like if we're put in a Job situation where we feel cut off from God completely, we can still say with our mouths, even though we may not have any feeling or faith, God, I know I'm saved. I know you love me. I'm believing what your word says over what my experiences are or what my faith is right now. I know you love me. I know I'm your son. If we can proclaim that in those moments, it is such a power it's like a nuke going off in the spiritual realm it shatters the enemy's efforts um, and if we consistently do that um, life and deaths in the power of the tongue so if we proclaim the facts of the, of the word um, eventually we'll begin to have faith and, and and begin to feel god again in those situations amen and that's well said uh I think to do with a believing believer <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's, yeah. That's um, the thing. Todd White would talk online. about it. Oh yeah. He would talk about if, if every time the devil squeezed us as Christians, Jesus came out mm -hmm. that the devil wouldn't squeeze us as much. Right. Yeah. You know, if every time you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice, 
then you know what to expect. If every time he squeezes a Christian, he gets doubt, fear, complaining, and, and strife, those are his, his languages and his areas, things that he enjoys. He's always going to be squeezing that Christian. But if every time he squeezes a Christian and the Christian praises God, because the book of James says to give praise in all things, right? Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why if the devil comes up and squeezes us and we say, Jesus, I don't know how I'm going to make it, but I know you're going to get me through. God, I praise you, even though I don't know what this current situation is going to lead to. I know you're here with me, even if I can't feel you. I know you're with me like that stuff. The devil hates that, man. He, he just it, it, it grosses him out. It, it makes him afraid. He doesn't want to be anywhere near that. Right. Yeah, I, I like the idea of grossing the devil out. <laughs> Imagine him in a corner of puking. <laughs> That's funny. So you mentioned the the prophetic, right? Mm -hmm. Um. So just kind of some some background uh, for me in that um, I in my family um, I have a gifting of a seer, right? And seers are all throughout the, the scripture. Um, there is a lot more emphasis and like writings on seers and prophets in the old testament um but that that anointing never died um it's for for, for me for the seer gifting it's a bloodline gift so i have it my sister has it uh, my mom has it my grandmother had it um and like with a seer it's more or less having the uh five senses of the, the physical realm and the, and the spiritual sense so you can you can feel things. You can sometimes see things or sometimes hear things. Um, so, you know, like all the senses you have in the physical, you, you it's almost like like the spiritual. You can sense them with your physical senses. Um, and when it goes into like prophetic anointings, because people can be prophets and not seers, but almost every seer has a prophetic gifting. Um, but the prophetic anointing, especially the seer anointing, it's it's a war and warfare anointing it's it's a weapon that god gives to believers who he's going to use to combat the hell and, and the devil and it's it's a uh, just like there's teachers and preachers um, prophets apostles you know all of those those fivefold ministries um the seer or the prophet in this example is a warrior because um, you got to think like we fight we don't fight against flesh and blood life and death is in the power of the tongue and the prophet's primary position is speech speaking out to those things which are not as if they were um, and if you go through the old testament a lot of the prophets in the old testament were soldiers were fighters for god um, for instance jonah a lot of a lot of christians know the story of jonah and nineveh uh, nineveh was a, a city that was very much on the path of sodom and gomorrah and god was going to destroy the city um, and he called Jonah to go and prophesy to them, repent, you know, your time is near. Um, and that's where Jonah's like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. Got on the boat, got swallowed by the whale, says, okay, God, I learned my lesson. Um, <laughs> but he, he went back to Nineveh, and when he, he prophesied over Nineveh, they repented, and their destruction was postponed. Um, another great one is Elijah. Right, Elijah was was a warrior prophet. He um, he would call fire down from heaven. Uh, there was a point where he killed, I think, 450. Uh, that number may be wrong, but he killed uh, over 100 uh, priests of Baal with a sword. Right. Just one man with a sword versus 
you know, however many with weapons. Um, and then when they went to go and tell this, the uh, Jezebel about it, he <laughs> ran faster than a, a horse and chariot. Like the prophetic anointing, the power that he had was very much as a, a weapon in warfare uh, against the workings of the devil on the earth at that time. And it's, it's like that if you study out the other apostles at some point, whether it's Isaiah prophesying the coming of the Messiah, which is a, a spiritual warfare proclaiming things, right? Um, or physical warfare like Elijah. Um, it's all like a, a warfare anointing. And uh, w one of the things that me and uh, JD have been talking about, because um, we both have that kind of seer gifting and anointing is like just the, the, the battles that we face. Um, we, we see things like I've, I've seen angels, I've seen demons. Uh, I've been woken up in the middle of the night by stuff. Uh, one of a good example I can give for that um, is uh, when COVID back in 2019 or 2020, when it hit, my wife got COVID and she, it hit her pretty hard. And by the, the second week, she was on medications for um, bronchitis, trying to, to kick out the bronchitis, keep it from turning into pneumonia. She still had full symptoms with after two weeks. Um, and I remember driving home from church one day and like just feeling kind of a, a ping in my spirit from the Holy Spirit, like something's not right. There's something else going on. And uh, a couple of days later, for, for whatever reason, I can't tell you why we slept on opposite sides of the bed from where we normally sleep. And I remember in the night, I, I was just falling asleep. I was in between like that twilight between awakeness and asleep. I had a vision um, or like a half dream of a, uh, a spider with like the, the body of a daddy long leg spider or harvester. Um, and like just a ton of legs covering all over its body, climb up the wall. Um, and it was like the size of a basketball. Um, and it jumped at my face. <clears throat> and I woke up screaming. Uh, my wife woke up screaming. Uh, I hate spiders. Um, but at the, <laughs> you know, Dude, kill them with yeah, fire. Yeah. Kill them with fire. But in that moment, I, I realized like it was a ball covered in a bunch of legs. And COVID looks like a ball covered in a bunch of stems. Wow. Um, and I was seeing like a spirit of, of infirmity. I realized like there's something spiritual happening to my wife. And so I prayed and, and rebuked the thing, canceled the attack. I, you know, I asked God for, for angelic warriors to come down, hedge of protection, like blood Jesus, all the stuff. I, I spiritual warfare prayers. When I fell back asleep that night, I, I had another half dream, half vision um, of that thing curled up on its back and dying with its legs, like how spiders die with its legs curl, curling up. Mm -hmm. Um, within a day or two, my wife was completely better. Wow. Um, and that morning when I woke up, my wife was like, what's, what's that on your neck? And I was like, what do you mean? I had scratch marks on my neck, um, that next morning. And it's just an emphasis of like, I spiritually became aware of like a feeling that there's something not right. And then I not only physically experienced an attack, but I also saw it. Um, but because of my anointing, I knew what it was and was able to fight it and, and, and kill it or cast it away. Um, and that's kind of the place of like a prophet, prophet or seer in the church. They, they, they encourage people going through something that the enemy is putting them through, which mm -hmm. is a form of warfare, building up faith, right? So that that person can then fight against their uh, circumstances or they, they do direct battle um, with, you know, demonic forces and things like that.
Man, well, that's that's a really great story, and thanks for sharing that one again. Um, yeah, you know, and, and kind of speaking of the the Rona thing, um, I can't remember when necessarily, but right around the time that it had already kicked off and officially become a pandemic, what they call. Uh, yeah. Sometime around there, I had a dream of the It clown, you know, from the movie It, <laughs> yeah, which represents fear. It's kind of like the embodiment of fear, and it had had it was just there's a lot. I don't have the time to really go through a lot. Some of it was just kind of weird and stuff that's like you know could have been, uh, you know, not sure. But anyways, I knew it represented the, that what we had entered into, and there was a, a a part of the dream that had to do with like a mouthpiece and breathing through it. And he had like this uh, evil car that had like stolen a bunch of things from a lot of people. And the car had a mouth and it to me spoke of like fear speaks. And if we give in and speak the same thing that fear or the enemy is speaking, it can steal whatever it's going after. And because it had like a treasure trove in its in its hood, but its hood was like its mouth. And there's I saw so many things that belonged to so many people, but it was still there. And I remember I reached in, I had this device that I got out of there that was like some sort of breathing device. Um and so I don't know if it spoke of just protection that I, I you know, wasn't gonna get it or um whatever. Not I'm not sure. But uh, that's really awesome about you defeating that spider. And, you know, like I mentioned before in some of our conversations about having dreams where it's like I'm always finding something, man. <laughs> yeah. In the dreams. Um, and, uh, yeah, kind of I had I had one, too. I'll, I'll share this here where um, I was, you know, in a dream praying over my wife and um, kind of like protecting her from this uh this demon and i kept shouting at it out out to get out and every time i did it was taking damage and it, it kind of had this mummified look like a mummy but without the bandages on but just like this skin all shrunk and gray and just kind of nasty and and finally it's like i had enough and with both my hands stretched out i just yelled out fire really loud and and for a while and it just i didn't see the fire in the dream but it got totally annihilated there wasn't one speck of that thing remaining um there was this weird headdress thing it had been wearing like a coiled helmet kind of like a spiral antenna helmet thingy and i remember walking up to it and kicking it out of the dream basically kicking it away and so you know this this stuff is is real and you know it's uh like like you you mentioned earlier about specifically the seer anointing how your physical emotions will reflect or take on um, kind of the atmosphere that you're in, or if you're around something, it's like your antennas will go off and it's like, it's not really you feeling heavy. It could be you're actually encountering a spirit of heaviness and that's why you're feeling it. It's not that you actually have a problem or that there's something wrong between you and God. It's that's, that's what that spirit is there to make people feel like. And when you encounter it and you, um, start those feelings you know you can realize wait a minute there there must be some sort of principality here that is in charge of making people feel a certain way and try to drive them off course into a, whether it's sin or um just doubting their salvation or whatever the case is um if you want to elaborate more on that or anything like territorial yeah, spirits. spirits absolutely so 
first I'd like to say there's there's literature and there's stuff. It's not really uh, like Christian literature on like the prophetic seers, things like that. But one of the, the, the big issues a lot of Christians face um, is that there's a lot of Christians that are afraid of the spiritual realm. And they don't want to really dive into it. They don't want to know anything about it. And that's okay to a point. Um, God creates different people for different things. And I've had a lot of friends who were some of the kindest people. Um, you know, they would, you know, very big hearts. They absolutely, they didn't want to talk about the spirit or spiritual realm. Like the thought of angels and demons like freaked them out. Um, they weren't called to that. And that's, that's totally okay. But what a lot of the church has done is they've just cast the spiritual realm off to the side, like out of sight, out of mind. Um, and because of that, there's not a lot of teaching on it. There's not a lot of understanding. Um, and it's, it's, it's absolutely um, terrible. Uh, scripture, God said, my people are destroyed for a lack of understanding. And it's because of that, the, the occult, um, has actually taken this process and this thing that God created for his children and spiritual growth and power and all that, and they, they've stolen it and they've perverted it and they've made some stuff their own, but it's the same process, like the witches and all that, when they come together and they do seances or, you know, co uh, covens, magic symbols, spells, all that, It's these, those are all things to build up faith. It's all, <laughs> there's a lot of witches that have a lot more faith than Christians. Um, hmm. But it's not something that should be shunned out of the church. If it's not your calling, then don't worry about it. But also don't try to push it out of the church. Um, right. Because it's it's a weapon. And there's not a lot of stuff for like, like people who have a prophetic gifting or an empathetic gifting or a seer gifting. Um, like you said, like the little just, they're, they're so overwhelmed by others' energy. It's a good kind of way to put it in modern day term. That they're they're brought down, but they don't understand like that's a gifting. That's uh, it's a warfare gifting. Like you get around somebody and they're just like you just feel terrible or lustful or angry. Like that person's struggling with that, and it's it's a, a trigger or it's supposed to be a trigger in us to say, hey man, are you struggling with this? And let me pray for you. Mm -hmm. And what what you a lot of uh, a lot of Christians who have those giftings and, and, and those those feelings will find is like as soon as they step in and pray for it. Um, like that feeling goes away, you know, it's, it's, it's a call to action. And once action is taken, you no longer need to have that sense of feeling. Um, a great way to kind of think of it is like, like we're cops, right. And you know, the prophets, the seers, all that stuff, they're, they're, they're armed and they're, they're given the ability to perceive things. And so we see somebody getting um, the absolute tar beat out of them in the spiritual realm. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you in real life watched, somebody getting mugged and kicked and beaten, like you're going to feel some type of way about that. You're going to feel bad. You're going to feel upset. You're going to, you know, but it's the same thing in the spiritual. Like we're sensing a person getting the tar beat out of them and we feel bad or we feel what they're going through. Um, but we're equipped to handle it. We're equipped to step in and help. And, you know, and your feelings of what that person is feeling, once they have that help, it goes away. Um, it's, and, but because that's not something that's really taught, or understood and even the aspect of like spiritual experimentation and like working with the holy spirit um to understand because uh, if you go into the occult they usually have familiar spirits or spirit guides right and 
there's there's a ton that they 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 reach out to, pray, do spells, summon something that will lead them into spiritual things. That's still in process. The Holy Spirit is supposed to be our our spiritual guide, you know, and He's supposed to lead us into understanding our giftings and and lead us into spiritual maturity. Um, and you know, I every uh, book I've read um, or like insight I've gained into like my own gifting has come from the spirit, like the spirit say, look up this, like look up books on this or like, Hey, that's what this is like teaching. Um, if, mm -hmm. if a lot of Christians putting that, that's have that, that those experiences, if they would just say, okay. Uh, and, and like talk to and commune with the Holy spirit of God say, Holy spirit, I need you to be my God in this. I don't know what's going on. Like teach me, educate me, like help me mature in this. Um, a lot of Christians will be surprised to find it may not be a direct word, it may be a direct word, um, but a book may just pop out of nowhere about the subject you're thinking of, you know, and like God will bring you resources um, to, to grow in that gifting if you want it. Yeah, man. And, you know, as we record this, there's actually a book on my desk now that I've been meaning to finish. It's called Prophets, Pitfalls, and Principles for God's Prophetic People. And I believe it's by, let me move this real quick. Yeah, Bill Hammond. And uh, forward was by Oral Roberts, actually. Nice. And, uh, yeah, and so uh, I haven't finished it yet, but there's some good stuff in there. And, you know, there's 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 all kind. You know, thank God for the, the good side of the Internet where you can just use whatever browser or social media platform and type in prophetic, and you're going to find probably lots of good resources or at least a direction towards good resources if you feel like you have this calling and it's not developed the way that you would like. I know I would like to develop more and just understand more when I'm going through something. Okay, you know, first of all, what am I going through? Why am I going through it? And what's the best way to handle this? And and how am I supposed to feel about it while I'm handling it? Oh, yeah. No. Um, yeah. For me, the Holy Spirit led me to a book uh, called The Seer Dimensions. Um, it's by Jennifer LeClaire, and she references a lot of like previous people that she was taught under, like James Knoll uh, or Gold, who had these giftings. Um, it's one of the first times I ever encountered Christians that were mature in the gifting that were teaching the gifting um, without like fear or shame of what others would think and just trying to help people in that situation understand because like when i was a kid something that's a very common trait with people who have like a seer gifting or people who are born closer to the spiritual realm than others is they like their their childhood is like horrible um like for me i had terrible nightmares almost every night demonic nightmares i'd wake up as a kid with scratches and things like that or bruises and places i would get hit in my dream and you know, like my mom, uh, she at one point served in a deliverance ministry and she knew what was happening. So did my dad. But as a kid, when I came up to them and I was like, I don't I like I had a dream that a, a demon punched me in the back and I have a big bruise there. I don't know what's going on. I'm scared. Right. And like as a five or six year old kid, they're like, oh, it's just a dream. You probably just hit yourself in the back or you rolled off something wrong. They try to push it under the rug. Um, when there was no physical way, I, I couldn't reach that spot in my back. There's no way I could have hurt myself in my sleep, right? Um, like these things, they they similar thing. Like they they didn't want to scare me, or they didn't know how to teach it. They were you know either you know for whatever reason they wouldn't like tell me. Um, and I 
you know, I was demonized as a kid. Like I had had active spirits like on me trying to like get me to go certain directions or like like it's just warfare. Uh, and I remember when I started communing with the Holy Spirit, um, he told me through us like a sense or not knowing to go and confront my mom and tell her like I need your help. And, you know, and I told her and at that time it was, you know, I was like 19 or 20 and I was like, since seven years old, I was battling against the spirit of lust and I didn't know what it was. And I went and sat down. I was like, mom, I'm, I'm struggling with lust. Um, and it's spiritual. It's not, it's not like, like, I don't want to do this. It's just these random thoughts that'll pop in my mind, these random emotions that'll pop in my heart and I fight it. And it's, I know it's something outside coming, trying to come in. And her first response was, well, Garrett, you just need to find a wife, right? Once again, it's just pushing it under the, under the rug. And, but I knew the Holy Spirit told me to confront her. And so I was like, okay, so listen, the Holy Spirit told me to ask you. And if you're not going to help, I will figure it out by myself. And she said, well, I used to be involved with this deliverance ministry. And I'll look him up, see if he's still doing it, see if he's still around. Sure enough, he was. And when I went, like, that stuff got removed. And, like, I had a... a a woman who was competent and in a seer and and mature in her gifting, she just she walked up to me. She was a sweet, sweet old African American lady. She said, "Sweetheart, you're going through a lot right now." And she she said everything that I was fighting and going through. I, I she didn't know me from Jack. I didn't tell her anything. She just prophesied over my life and she said, "You're one of us." And the reason why I had all these nightmares as a kid um, is because you're one of us and you're closer to the spiritual realm. Um, and you don't know how to turn it off as a kid and da, da, da. And I didn't tell her anything about myself. She's just telling me this stuff. Um, and, she, and they prayed over me and as they were praying over me, they were, one of the things they were doing was, uh, you know, saying we put a hook of the Holy spirit into these, you know, attacks and these demons and we rip them out. And every time they would do that and they were, they were, um, there's a lot of, a lot of power and symbolism. So they were, they were pretending they were putting hooks in my back and ripping stuff out. Right. Um, Every time they'd rip something out, I would um, jolt, right? I would, like, my body would tense up. Mm. Um, and my mom sat there, and she watched that. And, like, they're behind me. My eyes are closed. I have no idea what they're doing. But every time they do that, and it was just a confirmation of my mom, my mom felt guilty a little bit after that. She realized, like, you know, like, I should have <laughs> I I said something sooner. <laughs> but it, she kind of fell into the yeah. same trap or situation that a lot of Christians with the gifting fall into of like, I don't want to talk about it. You know, like people think I'm a flake, you know, um, you know, or I don't really understand it myself. And I would just encourage anyone who's struggling in that area, just rely on the Holy spirit and, and push and just ask and, and don't be ashamed. Like it's, it's a gifting. You have to know how to use it, you know? And if you could not use it, and be competent in it, God would have never given it to you in the first place. So trust that God knows what he's doing and he's going to make you into a spiritual warrior that a demonic will like be afraid of. Amen. Well, so that's encouraging for me, man. I know there's, you know, there's times where in the past I've, you know, been in the groove or whatever, felt great. And then there's times where like, man, God, I don't know what I'm doing, man. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's easy to, to feel, you know, incompetent. They're like, I'm, I know who I am and I'm, I'm called to do this or that in the spirit, really God. And I like how you said, he knows what he's doing and he, he's confident in the giftings he's given us and he wouldn't have done it if he didn't know the outcome was going to be good. Exactly and, right. 
it, it's it's like in the military if you get promoted or somebody's on for a certain thing they do that and, and even even that's not a perfect example because you know you can still fail and you can still fail in your in your missions as a as a military personnel or whatever but um if god has a call on your life and he gave you the gift that he's already prepared equipped you and suited you up so to speak he knows you're going to do it the the problem is us and this kind of goes back to our first point is the doubt the fear the disbelief look into our past oh i messed up last week or whatever yeah. so i'm not really a prophet because prophets don't lust or prophets don't you know what I mean? And, yeah. and the enemy just, it's like, no, I mean, Samson, he's a perfect example of the Bible. He was <laughs> yeah. a prophet. He was a judge. And the, again, warfare, killing, blood. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and the only thing that caused him to be, he wasn't even disqualified in God's eyes. He lost in the natural some qualifications that caused his gifting to cease whenever he got his hair cut. But yeah. before that, he had women. He partied. He had the temper. He was kind of wild. And God never was offended at him. There's not one verse where God came down, hey, Samson, stop that mess. You know, none, there's no verse where that happened. And yeah, he suffered in the end because of Delilah. But um, again, that was all him. And if he had never given Delilah his secret, I believe he would have gone on and there have been much more Samson stories. Uh, you know, and even and the, the story ends in a very encouraging note. His hair supernaturally grew back out. And was a signal of the anointing coming back on him, you know, and he did more. He caused more death <laughs> in his last few moments of life than he did his entire life of warfare. And and so for any Samson's out there, just know God loves you. And we have it. We have a better covenant through Jesus Christ. You don't have to worry about hair or some some, you know, uh, really astringent covenant that you have to do with your body or else you're not going to make it. No. There's grace and there's mercy, and God can reinstate you just like He did Samson, and you can get your strength back, so to speak. Whether it's a prophetic ability, or, or you want to start dreaming again, or you want to start healing the sick again, or you want to, you know, start having more dreams and visions and, and hearing God clearer again, ask God to restore you like He did Samson. And, and you know, Samson was able, you know, he wasn't just strong in the natural; he had the strength. To me, this is where real strength came in. He allowed God to restore him. He still loved God. He let God love him and give him his strength back. He didn't say, no, God, I messed up so bad to this point. Just let me sit here, you know, with my eyes poked out and just let me, let me just go on. No, he, he received it and he did something with it. Exactly right. And like speaking into Samson, um, he was, he was a Nazarite. Um, and a Nazarite was a special class of Israel. Israeli, the they would take a vow and become like almost a holy priest or a, you know a special order of priest, uh, and their vows were like, like covenants and aspects of faith. And Samson had uh, three. Um, he couldn't ingest anything from a grapevine such as wine, vinegar, uh, grape juice, raisins. Um, uh, he wouldn't cut his hair, and he could not touch or even go near a dead body. Um, and in Judges, uh, we see in Judges 14, uh, 5 through 9, he touches the body of a dead lion when he finds honeycomb in it. And it was a temptation, and he succumbed to the temptation, but he still had his strength after breaking that vow. Right. Um, likewise, he killed a bunch of men. He touched the dead bo uh, jawbone of an ass, um, mm -hmm. killed a bunch of men with that. Um, so that's like the breaking of one of his vows. 
Um, the second one is he, he likely drank wine when he was partying Judges 14, 10, 17, um, which is the breaking of his second vow. Um, his third vow was to cutting his hair. Even though he broke these vows, he still had his strength until he broke the last vow. And what these vows were more or less uh, were, were like faith. Um, they represented like the covenant and the faith and the power between him and God. And when he lost his faith, when he broke his vows, his strength left him. And But when he regained that faith, when he, because he, you got to keep in mind, like the vows weren't the source of his power, right? Um, if right. the vows were the source of his power, he would have never been able to collapse the pillars the Philistines were sitting on when he was blinded and under the arena. But when he cried out to God, he was crying out in a, a cry of faith to God. Um, and God honored that faith. When he had his faith back, he received his power again. Um, and mm-hmm. his final action was to de- destroy the Philistines, that the, 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 the Philistine nobility that were you know, against Israel and the children of God. Um, and so same thing with us, like, Facts, faith, feeling. Um, we have to fight for our faith. We have to fight the good fight of faith. We we have to b- choose to believe facts, and we have to try to re- retain our faith. You know, and above all, um, especially if you're in the gifting, because faith is such a it's a connector to God. It's 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 a source of where our power comes from. Faith is the highway between the spiritual realm of heaven and the physical realm where we we reside, and faith isn't. The answer to prayer, but the the means by which the answer to the prayer flows down. So when we sever faith, we sever our ability to receive and connect to God to to a degree. Um, so faith is is really important, but it's also easy to get back. You just have to change how you think. That's where the facts come in. If you change your thought and just, I don't I don't feel it, but I, I'm going to choose to know it and believe in it then you can reconnect your faith just, just through that alone. That's good, man. As you were speaking, an analogy came to me. So bear with me. A lot of times I think the Lord speaks to me through analogies um, and uh, or parables. It's a be Go for it, man. Really cool. <laughs> and so anyway, it's kind of like, uh, we okay, if you're hearing this, most likely you own a car or you drive a car or you know how to drive a car. So anyway, just to keep in line and make it simple, we all own cars, right? Well, well, yeah. Let's say we had an accident, but the car is still operable. You know, maybe dinged it up, scratched the paint, tore the bumper off, but it's still a car. You're still the owner. You still have the keys, and it's still up to you to get in that driver's seat, crank the engine, and drive and do what it's supposed to do, no matter how you feel or whether that wreck still bothers you, or maybe you're still suffering a little whiplash in your neck, and you're, you know, while you're driving, you got to massage your neck still, or whatever. It's kind of like that in our walk with the Lord. We go through things, we make mistakes, we have accidents, we have wrecks in the spirit, and then we start doubting if we're if we were ever really a car owner to begin with, if we ever really owned that car, if we ever knew how to drive to begin with, if we those keys really were ours or not. And God's like, I haven't, I'm not taking. You know, the Bible says that His gift and call are without repentance. He doesn't change His mind. He doesn't feel bad. Like we said earlier, he knew what he was doing. He's not taking the gifting or the call back. He's not renouncing your salvation um, because you had a wreck. And it's like like Garrett was saying, if we could reconnect with our faith, get in that driver's seat, and and realize, oh, I do still have a car. 
oh, I still can't put the keys in the ignition, crank it over and get going. I can still do these things that my emotions, my thoughts, my feelings, the past, what happened to this car, what happened to my faith or whatever, does not dictate the rest of, of my life. I can still drive. You can still minister. doesn't matter what you've been through or how you failed. Uh, like Garrett mentioned earlier so well, you can fall seven times. Number The seven is the number of perfection. Uh, you can say, it was a perfect storm and I'm a perfect failure. Well, in God's eyes, you're, you're a champion. And you're more than a conqueror through Christ because he loves you. And his love can empower you to do things that you would never be able to do. And it's not about never making a Can I just say that for all of Christianity? It's not about never making a mistake again. It's not about never, ever sinning again. Yes, we need to avoid it. I'm not condoning it, but I think we've made that clear. But it's going to happen. We're still in this physical fallen earth suit with the flesh, the old software, like you mentioned earlier, kind of like old faulty software that wants to do its own thing. And so sometimes you're going to find yourself messing up. But don't allow that to change your entire structure of thinking about who you really are in the Lord. That's exactly right. And, you know, when it comes to, to operating in giftings, um, you know, a lot of Christians are afraid to make a mistake. And I, I would say God expects Christians to make, make mistakes. And he, he's okay with that. It's, it's, he's more, if you think back to the, like the, the, the servant and the talents, right? The, the servants that went out and, and risked and like like succeeded, um, he rewarded. Um, and then the one that hid the talent, uh, he even said, if you would have just invested it in a bank where it could earn interest, um, you didn't even do that. You just hid it in the ground, right? And I, I kind of see like that servant may have been afraid of failing the master. But the master he told him, like, even if you just did the bare minimum, like like hardly anything at all with it, right? I would have I would have preferred that. You know, just right. try, <laughs> you know, just try. <laughs> you do something. And, yeah. And so, like, I'm going to say, like, when you're 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 stepping into the spiritual, if you're pursuing spiritual giftings, uh, maybe through the baptism fire stuff, like you're going to make mistakes. Um, that's totally OK. Um, you should expect to make mistakes. Um, you, you don't learn unless it's from mistakes. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and like you got to think like like some of the greatest pastors. Um, started out somewhere and they made a lot of mistakes and they were probably really boring, really dry. They probably said some wrong stuff, but, mm -hmm. but they, they, they didn't start perfect. And it, when, when you get into spiritual things, man, there's, there's experimentation, there's touch and touch and go. There's oops, you know, there's, ah, I got it. You know, like there's understanding game, but it's, 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 it's a, it's a process. Um, and so there's no, no Christian should be afraid to try. God really only God can't move or redirect someone who is still, but He can always redirect someone walking in the wrong path as long as they're just walking, they're taking those steps. Yeah, that's good. That's like uh, I think it's uh, Teradez Ministries, and it could have originated from from Andrew Walmack. I'm not sure, but uh, there's a saying that goes, uh, "God can't move a parked car." <laughs> to kind of <laughs> yeah. tie in with my previous analogies yeah. like just just start driving turn the key over put it in gear just get in gear you know yep even if you you know just get in gear even if you're going five miles an hour at least god can say okay turn here when you get there <laughs> yep as as paul said faith without action is dead mm -hmm. yeah and real quick i'm glad you said that can we clarify for anybody listening uh just because i think 
Uh, it's easy with the resurgence of anything in the church. It's easy. Religion, the spirit of religion. Here we go. We'll go off into this uh, this rabbit hole. So the spirit of religion always wants to try to resurrect uh, self-righteousness and religion in each move. What would you say to those that like to take that verse and make it mean that now that you're a Christian, if you don't, you know, quote, do a work, like let's say, live right and never sin again, which we know is not possible. We stated that uh, to never mess up again. We're going to make mistakes while we're here on earth. It's a given. But for those that think that that's what that means and that you don't really have faith or you were never really born again because you blew it really bad after you were saved, what would what would your response be to that that religious uh, teaching? Uh, let me pull up a Bible verse real quick. Yeah, go uh, for because it. Because there's, uh, if you can't tell, I really, really revere and connect to Paul out of all the apostles uh, the most. Um, his teachings and all that, like, like dude was stellar. Um, and he even would get on to the other apostles because they fell into kind of the religious, like Peter started teaching circumcision again, you know, yeah. <laughs> and Paul's like, I wish you'd circumcise the whole thing, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> you know, but, uh, let me, let me, <laughs> don't stop there. Just take, whack it all off, man. Shut up. <laughs> Sorry, but yeah. You know, and, and that's, um, I could really relate sometimes with the frustration of, uh, and let me know when you get it. I can relate sometimes with the frustration of just, you know, once you, once you've done some deep studies, like, like, like you and I, and you've people that have really taken time to go beyond just the typical nod to God crowd, they call it. And you learn some stuff and then you go back to whether it's a church or a ministry or somewhere and they're saying the same things that the church has been saying the last hundred years and the doctrine of theology hasn't changed and it's still, well, faith of that works is dead. So uh, if you mess up again or you're not doing a work for God, well, your faith wasn't genuine, so you're not saved. And it's, they just mash this nasty thing all together and it just doesn't even make sense when you try to iron it out, you know, and it, it just, it's all mangled. And so we're trying to straighten things out and there's clear lines of truth in the New Testament there's certain things that apply to a Christian now, and there's certain things that don't. We have to rightly divide the word of truth. Like Garrett said earlier, we're in a new covenant. There's two different covenants. There's two different sets of rules, basically, in the Bible. You're either under the old Mosaic law, Levitical law, and all that, or you're under grace with, with Jesus. And uh, you can't be under both at the same time. So you've got to choose your territory. And I'll tell you what, God's not on the old practice field anymore of, of law. He's not there. So you're going there, you're going to be, you're going to be alone. You got to come to where God is in the New Testament. It's absolutely right, and so uh, I'm looking in Colossians two eight, um, and it, it's just a, a letter addressed to the Colossians from Paul to something that was going on there. Um, he says, "See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception or pseudo intellectual babble, according to the tradition and musings of mere men, following the elementary principles of this world rather than following the truth, the teachings of Christ." For in him the fullness of deity, or the Godhead, dwells in bodily form, completely expressing the divine essence of God. And in him you have been made complete. And that's key. God doesn't waste his breath. You're made complete, achieving spiritual stature through Christ. And he is the head over all rule and authority of every angelic and earthly power. 
In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands, but by the spiritual circumcision of Christ and the stripping off of the body of the flesh, the sinful carnal nature. Have you been buried with him in baptism and raised with him to a new life through your faith and the working of God as displayed when he raised Christ from the dead? So Paul's obviously taking a, a little jab at circumcision in that one. Um, but he's also leaving a little bit open-ended because it, it references so much. And he's, he's essentially saying, like, when it comes to religion, tradition, God really could care less about that stuff. In fact, Scripture says there's only two types of religions God absolutely, like, like respects. That's, um, you know, taking care of those in need, taking care of widows and orphans and all of that, right? Um, even Jesus, when he right. walked, uh, Jesus would be a great example to study about religion versus relationship. And because the, the Sadducees and Pharisees are always on him about something. Um, and for instance, the Sabbath, uh, there was a time when Jesus and his disciples were walking um, by a wheat field. And in uh, those days in, in Israel, uh, farmers were not allowed to farm or harvest uh, the crop that was close to the edge of the field that was left for those without or for those in need that they could harvest what they needed from the field. Right. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus and his apostles were walking by a wheat field and the apostles were reaching over and grabbing um, heads of wheats and, and sifting them in their hands and eating the wheat seeds because they were hungry. And then Sadducees got onto them like, how dare you work on the Sabbath? Jesus like just said, you know, essentially you fool. <laughs> um, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. How many of you, if a if your donkey fell into a pit, would not rescue your donkey on the Sabbath, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, a, a modern day example of that would be wearing hats in church. You know, like mm -hmm. there's you know, religious philosophy behind that. Um, my dad was a very adamant one of that. I have no conviction. I'm a big hat wearer, right? I'll take my hat off out of a sign of respect to God when we pray things like that but oftentimes i wear a hat in church like it's it's not i'm not bound to that um and i don't feel convicted when i do that uh but it's it's difficult because a lot of people are so much more educated than you and they use that to try and confuse you and try to convince you that something you're doing is wrong um and those situations you just kind of have to take it with a grain of salt um, hold what they're saying to the word and ask the Holy Spirit. Um, because there's been plenty of times when somebody would try to get on to me about something or teach me about something religious and it just didn't feel right. And when I went and looked it up in scripture, there was some truth in what they were saying, but it was kind of taken out of context a bit. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been guilty of that in the past before. There's certain teachings and principles and stuff I was taught that I really believed and held true on that I no longer do because I read the scripture and my eyes are opened up to it. Um, but in general, I would say like, trust God to open up your eyes, bring people into your path that will give you teaching, like take things with an open mind, behold it to the scripture um, and trust God and the Holy spirit to be able to sift the wheat from the chaff um, for you and help you in your understanding of those things, because it's God does not care about religion. Really? He, you know, like the reason why he says to do not forsake the assembly of the saints is not to uphold a church, 
but because when he created us to be in unity and when we are together, we are strong. Not because the church has a holy reverence all around it and it must be upheld and established. It's just a building with people in it. And when two or three are gathered in his midst, he is there with them. All right. Um, God's intention for it, like, and I'm using the church as an example because that's, that's a really big one. Like, you got to go to church, man. Like, you have to go to church. Well, it's a sin not to go to church, right? It's not a sin to not go to church. Um, it's not smart to not go to church. There's wisdom in going to church because, like, with mm-hmm. the church I go to, I know if I go through something, I have brothers and sisters in the Lord. I can get immediate prayer, immediate support. Right. Um, to give you an example, my AC went out um, in the middle of July when it's like 110 degrees here in Texas. Um, somebody in the church found that out. So a friend of ours, he said, hey, I have this portable AC unit. Um, I'll lend it to you so that you can at least sleep in your bedroom, you know, with AC. Just completely offered it up without any like, and that's that's kind of a, an example of God's true intention of what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a community of believers to support and aid with one another. Right. And that's why it says don't forsake the assembly because you're forsaking such a large pool of spiritual help and, and even like help in life. Paul said when one of you hurt, the whole body hurts, right? right? And that nobody should go without, everybody should pitch in and make sure everybody has what they need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's good, man. Good. That's just, it's an example for religion. Kind of trying to delve between what is religious and what isn't religious is is difficult at times. You really kind of have to look at the context. So if somebody's teaching you a specific scripture or something um, and they're doing like solo scripture or like a one verse type of thing to build their principle, mm-hmm. go go to the verse that they're preaching from and read the chapter before and the chapter after and see if the context of that chapter lines up with what they're teaching. That's a great way to spot uh, religious uh, cows, as, as we call it. Yeah, well, that's a good one. I, I appreciate that. that. That is good. Read the chapter before and after and see if it's all jiving together. Yeah. And uh, see if they're not just taking a, a one hit wonder scripture <laughs> verse to, <Yep. laughs> to push some sort of agenda they have. We call that charismatic witchcraft, uh, where you, because mm. I can take I can take the Bible and make it mean anything by just ha- cherry picking verses um, and taking them out of context. Um, and, and we're seeing that modern day with people trying to justify um, homosexuality or uh, like, uh, sinful living um, or living outside of, of marriage with a spouse or, you know, premarital sex. Like, like there's, there's a lot of people trying to justify those things by taking certain scriptures and twisting the context. But if you go to those scriptures they're quoting and you read the verse before and the verse after, you realize like they're not anywhere near the context of that verse. And you don't have to have a theological degree to glean that, <laughs> you know, it's pretty, it's pretty blatant most of the time. Mm-hmm. Well, it's true, you know, for anybody out there that, you know, you'll probably never darken the door of a Bible college or something like that. No worries. If you have an open heart reading the word and you're spirit filled, especially, and and you can hear the Holy Spirit talking to you, that's all you need. You know, you can get such great revelation, um, you know, because it's easy to just sit back and listen to a bunch of teaching and preaching and not um, not actually get it straight from the word sometimes and just hear a lot of someone else's thoughts or opinions on something. And, uh, you definitely have to have the foundation of knowing how to hear the Holy spirit through the Bible as, as you read. Absolutely.
but yeah, that's uh, that's good, and I think a lot of um, um, churches have have experienced that with like doctrines and, and theologies. Um, yeah, and uh, thanks for the reminder. Um, yeah, let's talk about let's talk about uh, some memories really quick. Um, you know, one of the conversations we had before is, uh, and I've and I've heard of other people. It's it's kind of coming rising to the top a little bit more of uh some believers having uh pre world memories and yep. they all uh, I haven't heard many but the few including yours that I have heard uh it all lines up in the sense of it's it all points back to like God and you know cuz the Bible says before he created us in the womb he knew us I just thought of that verse too so yeah that's a holy mm-hmm. spirit connection there yeah, and so that's I. For anybody that's like, "Oh, this is getting weird now," or, no, just bear with us one moment. <laughs> just hear us out. Uh, this isn't mumbo jumbo. We're not trying to be flighty or flaky. Um, but that you know, if God knew us and we are eternal beings and we had a life with God before we took on this Earth suit for our mission here on Earth, um, you know, it's a phenomenon. I, I'll say respectfully that I um, think that. For those that have this and maybe need answers or want to know that there's other people that understand what it's like to have those, I'll let you speak in that because uh, unfortunately I don't <laughs> have any of that, but uh, I'll let you share however much you're comfortable with, with sharing about that. Yeah, man. So just to kind of lay some, some groundwork, the verse he said, like he knew us before we were ever in our mother's womb, right? Um, there's significance to that. Uh, like we mentioned before, God doesn't waste breath. And it's it's not common that a lot of Christians have this, but it's it's not uncommon. Like there are Christians out there that claim to have these kind of experiences or memories uh, before they were like like conceived or sent to the earth, and uh, I kind of call it like a Christian phenomenon. Um, and so like for me, um, and it could be tied into a gifting too. Um, for like for me, it may be tied into my seer gifting. Um, but I remember. Uh, existing in heaven and you have to think like we're spiritual beings before we're ever physical beings if you go back to Genesis that's the order that God created God created Adam's spirit first then his body and put Adam's spirit in Adam's body right so there's nothing in scripture that references God ever changing that order um, and so by the law of first spoken which is a theological law we have to assume that that's still going on um, so for me, like I remember existing in heaven and and like being in school um, and like I, I, there were different schools. There was like like a school of love, school of evangelism, uh, things like that. And I was in the school of war um, and I remember being with other other people and sitting sitting down and being like taught by people like David um, and, and Elijah and like like these these these, you know, titans of, of the old and new testament coming in and like speaking off of their experiences um and even scripture references like like we're going to rule and reign with him after like there's there's authorities like there's positions um it's it's sprinkled all throughout the new testament jesus was and the apostles were alluding to like positions and, and jobs and stuff in the afterlife right and so like these these righteous men of old would come in and they would they would teach off of their experiences, um, the things they learned, their spiritual maturity, um, and like how to go about 
certain things and I don't remember a whole lot. Like I don't remember a lot of their teachings, but I know like my spirit does. Um, and there's times when like I know what something is or I know what to do in a certain situation that's in reference to that school. It's just like I know. And I kind of take that as like my spirit was taught and it's, it's bringing up instruction given from the past. Um, I remember things like, like uh, riding horses. Uh, I remember sparring against angels, you know, spiritual, you know, just to have, like, like having that camaraderie and brotherhood of like almost like soldiers um, with, with these people in the school with me, with angels. Um, I remember being taken out um, by, by Jesus um, to a uh, like almost like a, a, a hole, like we, we, we were walking on cloud you know, it's kind of a, a cliche, but um, we were walking on a cloud and there was a hole in the cloud and I looked down down through the hole and I saw space and I saw the earth rotating. Um, and Jesus was showing me certain things. And I remember uh, a woman standing on the other side of this hole and I looked at her and I was like, who's that? And Jesus goes, that's going to be your wife in this life. Um, and she's going down before you. Um, and so I'm like, okay. And so she, she jumps in the hole and she becomes like a bolt of light. And she shoots down to the earth. Um, and then I go back, I go through some schooling and stuff like that. Um, before I, I eventually go that. And I remember before uh, I was, I was going to be called out to go and be sent down to the earth. Um, I remember Peter calling me to his house. Um, and Peter sat down with me and it was a traditional Israeli house. And at the time I didn't know that, you know, and as a kid, I didn't know this, um, but it was like, it was a house, but it had a big courtyard in the center. And he sat me down and he said, listen, he said, the most important thing for you is just, just come back. It, it doesn't matter how much you accomplish. It doesn't matter how little you accomplish. The most important thing is to come back to heaven. I know so many people who never come back. And he was just so, emotional and and, and um, emphasizing that point um, and I remember being led up to the the hole and you have to think like God doesn't exist in time heaven doesn't exist in time right so God can shoot you down to any point in the timeline you know we, we kind of think of time as this you know you know thing it's it's hard to grasp our mind around time but for God like he exists outside of it he can, he can place people anywhere um, and when I shot down, I remember, you know, probably being conceived or being in my mother's womb, it was dark. Um, and I was kind of panicking a bit. Um, but I remember like, you know, whether it was the Holy Spirit or it was God, he was with me in, in that moment. And he would, he calmed me down. He's like, relax, like this is part of the process. You're, you know, and he would just, I would, I would talk with him throughout the day. Um, and it, I was talking in language. Um, it's, it's, to me, it seemed like English. Like I remember it as English. I don't know if it could have been English, but I just um, like being like this this fetus or the, you know this child in the womb. I was having these adult detailed conversations because I'm a mature spirit, you know, being put into an immature body. Um, and then I remember at one point, God's like, "Okay, it's time for me to go. Um, you're." You know, it's time for you to start this. And he says, I'm going to take, you know, these memories away. You're not going to remember this. And I remember um, uh, begging God, like, God, like, like, you can take 
most of the memories, but leave me something to remember. Remember, just like begging God, like, don't take the memory of this from me. Like, 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 let me remember some stuff. And he said, I'll let you remember certain things, uh, but certain things I have to take. Right. And then it was like a, like taking away the physical memory. Right. So that I couldn't like physically remember. Um, and it's, you know, it's something like my sister has the same stuff. My sister, like, she was afraid to talk to me about it, but I, I just kind of told her, like, some of this stuff, and she's like, well, I've had that, too, and she talked about how she, in her, her school, she was, like, writing scripture and, like, making sure of the accuracy of scripture, and she was working with other apostles in it, you know, and, and like, she had these memories as well, um, and I know there was this uh, young girl, she was like a child, she's probably grown up now, but she she had memories of heaven, too, and she would paint she could paint she was a gifted artist and she would paint these elaborate uh, paintings of you know the countryside of heaven or she would paint the face of jesus or you know she would she'd had these things and and uh you know like there's there's stuff out there um does it necessarily matter in the long run in the, the grand scheme of the war and you know being on the earth probably not is it cool yeah um it's not something that everybody <laughs> yeah. has you know, it's, you know, it's nice, it's nice to kind of have kind of those thoughts, but I, mean, I remember like as a kid, I would say things along the lines of that, like, man, I really miss riding horses. And I'm like a five-year-old kid. I never rode a horse. And my, my parents were like, what, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but <clears throat> yeah, I was just, I just had these memories and I don't really talk about it too much because it's a spiritual thing. And, and like we talked about before, a lot of spiritual things, people just are so quick to shunt or cast aside or not really want mm -hmm. to explore or like like even like have open minds about it um mm -hmm. but you know it's it's something that's that's you know encouraging for me um and i'm very big in the belief that just because we're in a physical body in a physical world does not mean that we won't or can't experience spiritual things um I think that we have access yeah, to heaven now just as much as we'll have access to it in the next life, just in different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. And the, the hardest thing is because we have this physical earth suit as a filter to work through and it wants to muddy up the waters when you try to access, you know, heavenly things and uh, the gifting, the calling, the abilities we have in the Lord. And I think, you know, your testimony with that, those pre-earth memories um, could be as a, as a witnessing tool even. Um, what if there was someone out there that had memories, but they weren't necessarily a believer yet, and you had the opportunity to share that with them? And that right there would spark faith, and they would believe and say, of course, you know, it all makes sense now. I think that's a powerful witnessing tool for anybody that might would doubt, you know, what, what we're talking about. Yeah, it, um, and it, but it's 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 hard to get people to to talk about stuff like that, <laughs> you know. Right. Like, it's such a guarded thing, and and I understand why. You know, the the biggest hypocrite to spiritual things is the modern day church. You know, at least the Western church. Um, and there's there's even certain denominations, and not to like put down any denomination, but there's denominations that have you know essentially completely taken out the spiritual part, and they 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 don't really teach on the Holy Spirit, they don't teach on the baptism of fire, or they argue even against certain aspects of the Holy Spirit. Um, there's a lot of churches, they don't believe that God heals anymore. They don't believe like these spiritual things happen anymore, and it's, that's a shame, um, because nowhere in Scripture did God ever say he was going to stop doing that. And right. when I would, when I would, you know, because I've debated with 
with these these people before some you know some friends and stuff from these denominations and you know my aunt was a member of one and she didn't believe in the baptism of fire and she was taught it was demonic and all this stuff right and I just a lot of times they're 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 regurgitating what they've been taught or what they've heard they're, they've not mm-hmm. actually done the research themselves and when I sit down with these people and just say okay so I'm I'm not going to argue the point I'm just going to you're going to tell me something that you believe. I'm going to go to the scripture and it's, and we're going to see how it stands. And I'll let the scripture validate. Right. Mm-hmm. By the end of it, they, they had no defense. Like they, the scriptures just absolutely destroyed the kind of a religious or false teaching. Um, and a lot of those people like left with, with like a, mm, you know, I need to think about this. Or like my aunt, for example, she, she started to research into a little bit more and she, uh, you know, her and her, her husband eventually got spirit filled and they started going to a different church, you know, and they started experiencing these things for themselves. Um, so yeah, it's, that's why I understand why people don't talk about it. Some people do. Um, but it's, it doesn't mean it's, it's wrong. Um, as anything that comes with stuff like this, take it with a grain of salt and hold it to scripture. You know, uh, that's, I, I don't expect anyone to necessarily believe, everything I say, just, just look at scripture and let scripture be your guide. If I give somebody an aha moment, but they're not exactly sure, like if I'm sort of correct, like that's, that's perfectly fine. Like, like I said, everybody makes mistakes just as long as you're moving forward. I do my very best to study scripture and like, like build my understanding off scripture. Um, I'm very confident that, that a lot of my points and stuff will be based off of scripture and that will hold up under scrutiny of scripture, you know, context of scripture. Um, but I always teach people, you know, whatever somebody teaches you, like, like figure it out for yourself too. like, take it as inspiration, make sure that it's correct. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, people's own revelations that we teach or preach are awesome, but you've got to be able to have your own to go off of that lines up with that and make sure that it is biblical. Like you said, that's good stuff. And, uh, so, uh, let's see. Yeah, man, um, definitely, you know, there's, uh, I don't know how to say it, but there's so much to the spiritual realm that the Bible isn't going to necessarily say, hey, make sure you know that this is going to be possible one day. Hey, make sure you know that, you know what I mean? There's things you can experience in the spirit um, that it's in the scripture, but it's not in a way that says you can experience this or you cannot experience that. You know what I mean? And uh, like like we were talking about, like seeing spirits while we're sleeping or something like that or fighting them. Well, you know, you can go back to the Old Testament. There's lots of dreams as well where some of God's prophets had dreams and, um, you know, an angel came to them. There you go right there. Literally, an angel came to somebody in a dream and instructed Joseph, the earthly father of of Jesus, you know, um, an angel instructed him to go. Uh, here, go there, and it happens so. I, when you go back and read the story, the Christmas story, it happens so many times. It's like, oh my goodness, how did I miss this? That yeah, literally having supernatural encounters with angels, uh, and rightfully so. And so, I would say that, of course, you would say, oh, he was, you know, he was married husband. He had a big role to play in all this. Well, yeah, of course. So it warranted that angelic attention, not even attention. They were on assignment. God sent them to go with the message to Joseph. So I think when we do have dreams and we encounter God or Jesus appears to us in a dream or an angel appears or whatever, um, I would say, like, be honored and know that that God has big plans for you and that those encounters are not a light thing. And uh, many of you have talked about this before. Like, if you have a lot of dreams, write them down. Please don't let them just 
fall off into oblivion and forget about them, write them down. Because you never know when one day you go back and it encourages you or it encourages someone else or you you forgot about a dream and God fulfilled something he promised you and you missed you didn't remember because you forgot to write down a dream. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so well, um I think I think we came to a good point, man. Uh do you have any last things you would like to say before we begin wrapping up? Um, I would just say like if, if there's people listening in and like they're they're inspired, they want to um you know, experience spiritual things. Um, it's okay to have some, some fear, some timidness. Uh, I personally went through like a lot of scary demonic stuff as a kid and became numb to it. Uh, and so I'm able to really step into the spiritual realm without fear. Um, and, but that's not, that's not like the normal experience for a lot of believers. And it's, it's okay to have like, hesitation or concern or, or, you know, like, like uncertainty. Right. Um, but I would still encourage people to, you know, step into it slowly, uh, pray, ask the Holy spirit, like, like you can pursue spiritual things. There's when, when Paul would teach on the, the baptism of fire and like the giftings, um, like the next, next chapter, he's, it's one of the few places where he says, it's okay to covet and says, covet the greater gifts pursue, like, 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 and covet's almost like a word right. synonymous to lust, you know, like like or hunger for strongly, mm-hmm. right? Like 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 want these gifts. Right. Um, and you can pray and you can receive gifting and you can pray and you can receive dreams and like like if, if you show an interest and you show like a dedication to pursue the spiritual, God will always reward that. He's not just gonna hold something back. Um, you may not be in a place right away to where you can safely step and broach into spiritual things because there is some some risk there's a lot of uh false spirits there's a lot of things that will try to confuse it um but you have to think like the what the occult does today um is a a pattern and template stolen from god um trust in the holy spirit reach out to the holy spirit talk to like i'll talk to the holy spirit all day like i'll I'll tell them like man i'm really you know, excited for this opportunity or like he'll set something up for me. Like, ah, thank you, Holy Spirit. Like, that's awesome. Like, or he'll give me insight or something like a, like a, like a little ding. Like, oh, thanks, Holy Spirit. That's a big help. Um, like, just talk to him. And, you know, when it comes to like the occult and stuff, God created the Holy Spirit as a spiritual guy for us to explore spiritual things. The occult took that and used demons, essentially familiar spirits to teach them spiritual things. Um, you know, God created within us a system and apparatus for the Holy Spirit to step in, take control and help guide certain things. And there's a lot of you ever talked to, to prophets or, you know, people who operate in like the gifting of like a, a message in tongues or things like that. Like at the very beginning, most people just black out and they don't know what's going on and they just speak. And then afterwards, people are like, oh, my gosh, like that's reached out to me so, so strongly. That's that's spiritual possession. That's literally a, a system God created that the Holy Spirit's stepping in, taking control for a moment to speak out his word, but he always gives it back. And that's that's the proper order. And the enemy came in and took that over and made it demonic possession, right? Like we have these systems already in us. We were created with them to be able to operate in the spiritual realm. Because you have to remember we're spiritual beings in a physical body. It doesn't mean we're not we're disconnected from the spiritual realm where we have rights mm-hmm. and authorities um, as Christians. So mm-hmm. I would encourage people 
who have an interest in in spiritual things trust in the holy spirit let him be your guide he will not lead you astray don't don't become zealous don't become unwise and try to jump and rush into it but trust his his movements uh, some people it may be fast some people it may be slow um, but he will get you there and just pray and just consistently seek his guidance um, and you will never go wrong with that read the scripture like if if you get a thought or an idea that's like i don't know about that that seems kind of weird or flaky or like i don't test it to scripture uh, scripture bible says to test the spirits test the holy spirit too right like you know like there's been plenty of people who have have tried to delve into the spiritual realm and and they're reaching out to the holy spirit and they 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 a demonic spirit will step in and try to lead them astray um and so test the spirits test test the waters hold the scripture let the scripture be the anchor right let the scripture be the the, the resounding truth of what something's right and wrong and you won't go wrong that way and man that's good stuff well everybody you heard it uh be encouraged and seek god uh if you feel like you don't have giftings or don't have the ones you would like seek god for those giftings and uh, i'm also a personal witness that he will give you different gifts that you pray and honestly seek him for and and even now right now in life i'm seeking to increase in some giftings that he's given me to kind of get those cranked up again and and going strong in those things again but uh how about you uh pray us out today man if you don't mind sure thing um father god uh we thank you for the opportunity to to reach out to others who have an interest who have desire father curiosity comes from you and we know that you are the great guide the great teacher uh let those who are seeking find let those who are asking find their answer father direct them and guide them in the paths of growth of maturity um, and protection over those and their families who are listening father that you would send out angels of war and of ministry to intervene into their lives as they need father that they would step in and assist in the spiritual realm that people would not be overcome by the enemy but would be overcomers um, and that people would grow and mature and to know their identity in Christ and, and who they were made to be um, father God we we pray over our listeners we bless them in Jesus name that you would continue to prosper them and guide them in life and always give them an answer in the situation that they may not know the answer to father we ask these things in Jesus name amen amen appreciate it brother and remember everybody everything we said today and if the sun has set you free you are free indeed amen